Kelly didn't think I was going to make it. I have, uh, I've been praying um, about what the Lord is doing this season and, and just all the, the different th- attacks of the enemy that have come, you know, to the network, to, to the body, um, and, and, you know, just everything that's going on. And, and really, as, as I've been thinking about this and praying and, and just mulling over, I know that the Lord is, is doing something unique in this season, and he's, he's really trying to get us to focus on him and, and his righteousness. And really, that was the theme that the Lord just kept uh, pounding into my heart, into my spirit, is righteousness and righteousness. And, and so I, as I began to study for this sermon and, and really what that meant, um, you know, obviously I've got a ton of scriptures that we're going to go through, um, but, but at, at, at the core of it, it really came down to knowing and loving the Father, knowing Jesus, and, and following his ways. Um, and, and so we're going to look at this. We're going to look at righteousness and, and what that means and what, what it's shown in the Bible. Um, the, the Lord is moving, and, and he's really wanting to move through you. He's, he's really wanting to capture our hearts and, and take us to new places. And, and that really means uh, us sacrificing of, of who we think we are and, and who God wants us to be. And so as we look into this, uh, I want to start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And um, Brother Mark mentioned it a minute ago. Not 10 seconds ago, he said this verse, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And that, that was the scripture that just kept coming to me. Um, and, and, and so as I think about Father's Day and, and what it means for us, as we look through this, think about the gift that you can give to your father in, in righteousness. So let's start. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So what is righteousness? How do we define it? You know, if we look at, at Strong's, um, it, it's defined as, as justice. It's defined as virtue. It's, it's defined as being right and truth and all these things. Uh, and a lot of times those words can get nebulous to us. So as I started looking through this, um, you know, just searching in the Bible through, through all the words where righteousness shows up, uh, I came across Matthew 5.20, and I found it very interesting. Jesus said, in Matthew 5:20, I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. It struck me that that one of the ways that Jesus describes righteousness is by saying the opposite of what those guys are doing, that's what righteousness is. And and so what I'm going to do is I I have taken uh, a journey through scripture to see what it is that the, that the Pharisees, that the scribes were, and, and I want to talk about what the opposite is of that. Um, so we'll, we're going to define the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and what they believed that their righteousness was, and then we're going to look at scriptures that talk about, obviously, the opposite of that. Um, so for those of you who don't know, the Pharisees and Sad- Sadducees were a sect of Judaism and, and they believe certain things, and, and we can go real deep into what that was, but uh, we'll save that for a Sunday school class. Um, the, suffice it to say that the Pharisees and Sadducees were doctors of the law. That, that's why he says the scribes. These were people 
who took scripture, the Old Testament, and, and they digested it, they dissected it, they looked at the, the meanings and the words, they memorized scripture, and, and they said to themselves, we have to take the letter of the law to understand it and to apply it to our lives. That's, that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. And, and you would think, well, that's a good thing. They should, they're reading scripture, they're trying to apply it to their lives, um, but they were staunch in the way that they believed these things and not open to the Lord speaking to them, right? And, and so in, in several instances, we see where Jesus comes and says, what you're interpreting here, I say to you, there is a better way, and then he goes into it. So we're going to start with uh, one of the things that defined the Pharisees and Sadducees was knowledge, this, this idea that you had to have full knowledge, intimate knowledge of um, their religion in order for them to move forward. And, and Jesus combats that with faith. Let's look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. You know, the, um, Paul, Peter had this, this huge debate about faith. They had this huge debate about works and, and what it really means. And, and at the heart of what they were talking about, it, it really came down to, look, you, you, you cannot get to, to know the Father, to, to heaven, to get to know the kingdom of God just by doing stuff is what Paul was arguing. You have to have faith. You have to believe. Now, obviously, works is going to be proven by your faith, right? If you have faith, you're going to want to do stuff. But just because you do stuff doesn't necessarily mean that you have faith. So they had this big debate going back and forth. In this scripture, what we really see is the righteousness of God being revealed from faith to faith. The just the righteous will live by faith. Let's look at the next one, Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. So for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it was about knowledge. It was about knowing what to do, when to do it, how to do it, why to do it, and not to have this relationship with God. We'll talk about religion and relationship here in a minute. But to them, knowledge was, was key to knowing God versus faith. They believed that if you, if you read these scriptures and you tacked them onto your forehead and you had a list of every, all the do's and the don'ts, that that's what was going to get you to heaven. And Jesus came to, to tell them, obviously in Romans, it's, it's Paul speaking. But through Jesus, we learn that, that it's not about the knowledge. It's about faith. Faith in Jesus. Faith in his blood. Faith in what he has done as the propitiation for our sins through his blood. 
the, the Pharisees were so focused on knowledge. They were so focused on getting the letter of the law that they excluded the spirit of the law. So as we read many of these scriptures, you're going to see Jesus speaking about that specifically, about how they're focused on that letter and not looking at the spirit. Because the next one that I want to look at is, is their idea of exclusion, right? They, they, they tried to keep uh, only the people who believed exactly what they believed inside this church. Matthew chapter 22, 23 through 46. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, died, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto him, You do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry, nor are given in marriage, but are, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. When the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said unto him, The son of David. And he said unto them, How then does David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. So here we see the Sadducees, the Pharisees, endlessly debating, endlessly trying to catch each other in, in all these, um, these words of the law in, instead of seeing what Jesus was trying to promote, which is that, A, love the Lord your God first, and then love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I, I've been looking at the church in general and, and what's been going on out there in the world. And, and it's interesting um, to see the endless debate that's going on. We, we started out, Christianity started out as, as, a, as a desire to, to know and to love Jesus and what he had done for us. It, it started out as this um, very inclusionary, right? Everybody's invited. And, 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 it, and it brought forth this idea that, that we are all sinners and, and we're saved through Jesus by grace, through, through God's mercy, if you will. Slowly over time in history, we see um, 
we see the church begin to solidify itself into this, this body of believers. And, and because of the persecution that occurred, we see them rise up. We see them uh, strengthen themselves. We see them put on this armor uh, that, that begins this exclusionary, you can't be a part of this. And, and so that's really where you get um, the, the crusades, where, where you see Christians fighting against uh, Islam and Muslims. You see uh, Christians rise up and, and begin to say, this is who we are, putting a, a, a line in the sand, um, putting their foot down, if you will. And, and really the church begins to segregate itself from all those that are around us. And, and lately what has happened as we, as we look in this church um, is, is you have all these denominations of churches, right? The, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the, the Church of God, the Assemblies of God, all these, these different churches believing different things. And, and there is one root to it, which is Jesus, right? We all believe in Jesus. And, and you would think that that root would hold us together, that, that we would be able to um, partner with all of these different denominations. And, and what ends up happening is it's those slight differences uh, in our belief in how we interpret the Bible that keeps us separate. We as a church believe in speaking in tongues. There's several denominations that don't. And so we then become this, this, denom this um, demonic aspect of, of the Christian church, right? We, we become cult-like. And, and the, the crazier you get, right, the, the more screaming and yelling you have in your prayer meetings, the, the more excluded you are. And, and so at some point in time, Christianity became this, this very fragmented religion of, of people who believe foundationally in, in something very similar. But, but in, in practicality, we are very different. And, and it's sad to see that. What, what has now excluded us even more is, um, and, and I truly believe this is a tactic of the enemy, right, to, to divide and conquer. What we see now is, is Christian church um, flipping completely the other way into this 180 and, and attempting to say, look, we, we have divided ourselves now as opposed to excluding anyone. Let's include everyone, right? Um, so, so now there are movements out there who are saying that, that we believe in Jesus, we believe in God and the Bible and all these things, and, and it doesn't matter who you, are, who you are, where you come from, you are part of the family of God. You, you should be included into the body. And, and look, fundamentally, I don't disagree with that. God has called us to love one another, absolutely, to love one another. In, in fact, we're going to look at that a little bit more here as, as we read more scriptures. What has happened, however, is that the church has begun to pervert even that through, I'm going to say, some twisting of the enemy to say that, yes, let's, let's include everybody. But, but there's a difference between inclusion and acceptance. Do you hear me on this? We, we can absolutely say it doesn't matter what your walk in life uh, is, what you used to believe or what you believe now. We invite you to come to the altar of God and be a part of his family. That it's one of the struggles that the, uh, that the early church fathers had, right? They, they were Jews, and, and so they thought that, that Christianity, Christ following, was for them. And they had to fight this battle of do we allow the Greeks, the Gentiles, to come into the quote-unquote 
family of God. So if you really think about it, right, we should be excluded. We're all Gentiles. The Jewish people are the ones that were given Jesus. Jesus came to give them life. We see Jesus doing this himself, right? There's, there's people out there that say, you know, Jesus accepted everybody and he loved everybody. That's great. That's a, that's a great thing to say because it's true. But then you get to the, uh, the situation where Jesus is sitting at a table and he's eating his Doritos, right? He's just there snacking. And, and a woman comes up to him and she says, Lord, my, my daughter is sick and she's dying. Please come heal her. And what did he do? What did he do? He dropped everything and he ran and he went to heal her. No. He said, this, this isn't for you right now. What I'm establishing here in this place, it excludes you. It's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. He says, this is not for you. This is for the children. And she comes back and says, but Lord, in a family, in a house, when the children are eating, even the dogs get to partake sometimes of the crumbs that fall from the table. And Jesus, having heard her faith, said, because of that, your daughter will be healed. Because you believe and understand in what I am and who I am and what I'm trying to establish. It is because of that that your daughter will be healed. And her daughter was healed that selfsame hour, the Bible says. But, but hear this. Jesus told her, no, this is not for you. When you look at, at all the times when Jesus was out there healing people, right? I, when, when we think about the, the, my, the, the man at the, the pool and, and who couldn't get to the water fast enough because someone always beat him to it, right? Which, which leads us to understand he was not alone at this giant pool, right? So he's, he's sitting there at a pillar. I've, I've preached on this before. He's sitting there at a pillar. He's waiting for the water to be stirred. The water gets stirred, and so he hobbles over. He drags himself. However he gets there, he gets from the pillar to the pool, doesn't make it because someone else jumped in before him, right? That man was not alone at the pool. And yet, and yet, what we read from in the scripture is that he went over to that man and healed him, him, and only him. Otherwise, why didn't the Bible say he, that, that Jesus healed that man, then he went around and healed everybody else that was at the pool. That's not what it says. We can infer from that that Jesus healed the one individual. Why didn't Jesus go around and heal everybody else that was there? He obviously had the power to do so. Look, I'm, 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 <laughs> I hope you don't think that I'm trying to disparage Jesus in, in any way. Jesus had a purpose, a very specific plan and it wasn't, quote-unquote, exclusionary. I'm not saying that Jesus tried to exclude people. What I'm saying was he was very strategic in what he was doing and why he was doing it. He healed that man for a very specific reason. He did not heal that woman's child immediately for a very specific reason. He had a plan and a purpose. So when we look out there in this world, do we say, hey, we sh we're going to exclude these people for very strategic and, and specific purpose? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that what Jesus did was deliberate, deliberate. So as we're looking through these scriptures, we need to look at the deliberate message that Jesus is trying to send. Let's look at John chapter 4, verse 1. 
In John chapter 4, what, what the Sadducees are representing here in, in their hearts is religion. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then came he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou... Being a Jew, asks of drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that said to thee, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Let's pause there for a second. Everybody understands, based on what we just read and contextually from what we know of the Bible, that Samaritans were bad people in the eyes of the Jews. They, they were a, a, complete, um, a, a complete separation, an exclusionary group, a complete separation from the Jewish faith. They, they, they were like Muslims and Christians at the time. They, they did not deal with each other. They believed different things. And, and there, were, there came a time, too, I don't, we're not going to read it here, uh, but there came a time, too, when the, the Pharisees tried to provoke Jesus and, and tried to insult him and said, um, you know, you're a Samaritan, right? They were trying to make him feel bad in some way, and obviously Jesus wasn't having any of it. Um, so for Jesus to be talking to a Samaritan was a big deal. The, the other side of that was Jesus was talking to a woman without her husband being there. So in, in this culture, uh, unless you were courting or, or trying to date or something like that, women and men just didn't deal with each other like this. So obviously this is a big deal for Jesus just to be asking for water. The woman said unto him, Sir, verse 11, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well? drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said unto her, Go call your husband and come hither. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you said, well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not your husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman said unto him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So here's where we get to the, the meat of uh, this exclusionary, the, the religious, the you do this, we do this. And Jesus said unto her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you shall neither in this mountain nor at your Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship you know not what. 
we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Notice that he said that salvation is of the Jews, not salvation is of the Jews and the Gentiles. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am him. There is this idea that, that their religion is what gets them into heaven, that gets them to see the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus is trying to break that paradigm. And he's trying to let them know, look, this is not about religion it's about having a relationship with the father look at uh, john 14 let not 14 1 let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you and and mansions is not necessarily talking about uh houses there's not a housing market in heaven it's talking about the room available in God's heart. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And, <coughs> excuse me. and whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether you go, and how can we know how to get there? How can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Jesus was here to introduce us to the Father. But there was only one way that we were going to know the Father, and that was through Jesus. That was through knowing Jesus, through going through the gate. He he, in, in Matthew chapter 5, begins to talk about, um, you know, being sheep um, and how Jesus is the door to go to the sheep. If anybody doesn't go through the door, they're going off to the side on top of the fence. Those are thieves. They come to, to steal and to do bad things, right? If you want to go into the kingdom, you go through Jesus. And so Jesus here is preaching relationship he's letting them know that this is not about religion and and holding on to those things but true relationship with the father and knowing the father through him the, the but the pharisees and the sadducees were all about again exclusion they were about religion and they were about judgment in john chapter 8 uh, verse 1 we see this jesus went unto the mount of olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. 
And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Judgment. Being a part of religion, not only were these men trying to catch Jesus, they, they were trying to get him to say something like, yep, you're right, let's stone her. And they would have said, well, oh, where's your love? Where's your compassion? Where's your humility? They wanted him to say something. Oh, well, let her free. Oh, well, then you don't believe in the law. You don't believe in the prophets. You believe that everybody should just go off willy-nilly and do their own thing. They were trying to catch him because it was a catch-22 situation. You could not say anything in this situation and come out ahead. And so what did Jesus do? He said nothing. He did exactly what they didn't expect him to do, which was to say nothing. Instead, the Bible says he got on the ground and he began to write with his finger. Now, we don't know what he wrote. Uh, I've preached before that, that I think he began to write the, the secret sins of these people, that he began to, to write things that these people recognize as, oh, that's what I do. And so when he said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone, they began to maybe recognize in that writing things that they were doing. He could have been writing for Dr. Seuss's first book, One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. We don't know what he wrote on the ground. What we do know is that as, as Jesus says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone, they began to introspect, look inside themselves and say, yeah, I'm a sinner too. And so one by one, they dropped their stones and they left, obviously not happy. They, they were looking to hurt somebody that day. And whether it was that woman or it was Jesus, they wanted blood. They were looking for judgment. They were looking at people and saying, I, I want to judge you. You are doing something wrong, and it offends me. I want that out uh, of, of everybody's life, right? They, they were dictating how people should live. They were dictating what people could and could not do. And what Jesus said here was, look, nobody's perfect. You need to drop this pretense and, and, and allow God to move inside of you. And so as they started leaving, he says to this woman, hey, looks like everybody's gone. Are they not going to condemn you? And she said, no. And he said, neither do I condemn you. And so we see here the redemptive quality of Jesus forgiving her. But let's be very clear about what the Bible says. Neither do I condemn you. However, you have to stop your lifestyle. You need to go and sin no more. We, we have to be very careful, especially in this day and age, that, that we don't judge, but we look at people and we say, there is a redemptive quality in Christ. He wants you to change. You need to change. It is not my job to change you. It is your job to change you. You know, when I first got saved, um, and I'm sure it still happens, right? But, but at, when I first got saved, we would hear all these, these songs about come as you are. That was the message of the church. Just come as you are. You don't have to be perfect to go to church. You come to church to be perfected. And so all this, this whatever you're going through, come in, come in, come in. And it, again, as, as, a, as a Christian body out there in the world, as Christians, we have 
slowly turned away from that and, and become more exclusionary. We've become exclusionary with ourselves. We've become exclusionary with the people out there. God wants to bring everybody in. Everybody is invited to the table of the Lord. But, but Jesus said it here. You're invited, but you need to make sure that you have your wedding clothes on. You need to make sure that you're prepared for what's going to happen. We see the parable that Jesus gives, and, and I don't have it here. But we know the parable where, where Jesus is saying there was a, a wedding. And, and there were all these people, these highfalutin people invited. Mark Cuban was going to be there. They were all invited, and guess what? They didn't come. And so the master says, all right, go get me everybody else that you can find. You bring them into this building. We're going to have a wedding. And so they go out, and they get all these people, and they bring them to the wedding. But one man comes, and he doesn't have church clothes. And they stop him at the door, and they say, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You're, you're not dressed for this. You're not ready for what's, what, what's about to happen. And they kick him out. And Jesus says at the end of that parable, that is what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like, the kingdom of God. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and there will be hellfire. This is the same inclusionary Jesus that we're talking about. Because what is he really saying? Look, I want you to come. Come as you are. But be ready to change. Be ready to be the person that I've called you to be. That life that you lived out there in the world, you cannot live that when you come in here. I want you in here, absolutely. Doesn't matter what you've done in your past, whether you're a murderer or an adulterer, whatever. I want you to be with me. But be ready because it's going to require change. That, that's the message that people don't want to hear. That's the hard part. And that's the message that this world right now is providing for everybody. Doesn't matter who you are or what you believe or what person you love, if it's the same gender, let's, let's talk about equality. It doesn't matter. Your truth is your truth, and that's perfectly fine. Wear whatever clothes that you want to the wedding because it's perfectly fine. We're not going to judge you anymore. We're going to include everybody and say what it is that you are right. Let's talk about diversity. Hey, bring in diversity. Diversity is huge right now in, in corporations, right? I, I absolutely believe in, in diversity. I believe in inclusion. I separate my corporate life from my religious life, let me tell you. I, I believe that we should be inviting people and everybody's got a perspective and that's understandable. At the end of the day though, what we've done is, is we've stopped believing in universal truth. We really have. We've, we've stopped believing in right and wrong and we've said, hey, what's right for you may not be what's right for me, but it's okay for us to both be wrong. It's okay. We, or we can both be right. You can be right and I can be right. Three plus three is 12 in your mind. Three plus three is seven in my mind. We're both right. It's okay. Because there is no universal right and wrong anymore. And it's ludicrous. Ludicrous. Because if you were to believe or to poll every rational human being that is out there, most people would tell you that murder is wrong. Wouldn't you say murder is wrong? And yet we've got all this problem with abortion. Wouldn't you say that, that taking something from someone else is wrong? And yet we do that all the time. I, I was uh, 
frustrated because my office here at the church got broken into. They, they broke one of the windows. They climbed through. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I had all the water money on my table. I was counting it so that we could, you know, take it to the bank. Uh, so there was all these, a ton of coins and, and just cash sitting on my desk. Um, and, and so they broke in. I guess they saw that. It was very attractive. They grabbed the money and, and left. And, and thankfully, they didn't take anything else. I had some tools in there, some, some high-priced or valued items that they didn't take. Uh, they just they took the cash. And, and I was frustrated, let me tell you, very frustrated. And, and so my first thought, God forgive me, my first thought was, I, I hope that this person gets punished. I hope that, that there's some sort of recompense for this, this um, uh, malfeasance that has come against me, right? And, and as I began to uh, open my heart to the Spirit and, and really pray about it, um, I, you know, it, it took it a little, the Lord asked me, in a sense, well, what would, what would you hope would happen to this person? And, and so my first thought was, well, I hope someone takes from them, right? Or, or I hope that they have a, a bad day. And, and, then, and then the Lord said to me in, in so uncertain terms, don't you think that's not what's happening right now to them anyway? If they have the, the need to go and steal from someone else, don't you think that more than likely they feel that they don't have enough? That, that maybe the government or somebody has taken from them. Maybe they haven't been loved. All these bad things that you are wishing upon them, don't you think that's what's happening to them right now and that's what's causing them to do this? And, and at that point, I began to repent. He says, I said, Lord, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that's truly where love comes in and, and not this judgment, right? We, we have to be very mindful of what the Spirit is doing in our hearts and in our lives, if this person would come to the door right now, and, and we knew, because we, maybe we had camera footage, that, that it was that person who stole that money, would we exclude him or her? Could be a woman, I don't know. Would we exclude him or her and say, no, you, you, do, you have done bad things? Or would we welcome them and say, look, you have done bad things. Come and be free of that. Because that has happened, let me tell you. People with sordid pasts have come into the church. This church and other churches, I'm just saying church in general, they have come into church and they have turned from their wicked ways and, and they have submitted their lives to Christ. And, and those people, because they know lack and they know want, they, they turn around and they are the most humble and giving and loving and appreciative people because they understand what it was like to live on the other side of that world. So absolutely, we want them to come. But let me tell you again, they don't come and continue the lifestyle that they lived out there in the world. That is what, that's the main difference here. So when we talk about righteousness, it is not the righteousness of the world. It is not the definition of righteousness that the world has put upon us because that is what is plaguing the church today. This idea that love and inclusion were, were um were critical facets of what Jesus was preaching. And, and they were, in a sense. I've given you two examples where Jesus said, not for you, not today. We absolutely need to include and love people. They have to understand that they're going to have to change. We 
had to change. I had to change. I Look, let me tell you, I wasn't a murderer at the age of 15 when I came to this church and got saved. But I knew I was not living for God. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't praying. I wasn't reading my Bible. I wasn't sacrificing. I didn't know him. God was just this, this nebulous thing out there that if you did bad things, you were going to get punished. I didn't have a relationship with my father. I really didn't. I didn't know him. I didn't know he existed. I knew that there was something out there that created this universe, and, and he was just there. If anything, I was agnostic. I believed, but I didn't know. Once I got saved, I began to know and understand and love and appreciate. And I began to change. I began to grow. I began to see other people in the eyes of the Lord. And, and if I had seen my, my earlier self today, if I could see my earlier self, I would have tried to change myself even earlier. Because again, not that I was a bad person, but because I was ignorant of God. That is what we want for other people. And that's really where righteousness stems from. It's not justice to say, I judge you, you are doing wrong, but justice to say, look, you are in a bad place. Get out of there and come to somewhere new, somewhere fresh, somewhere where there is love and, and hope and, and a place for you to, a mansion for you to live in. That's what righteousness is. That's what God wants from us. Not religion, relationship, not judgment, love. Not, not this idea of, of um, as the Pharisees started doing debating, endless debating. Oh, well, the Bible says this over here, and this is what it means. No, I, you know, there's, there's not angels in heaven. There's no resurrection. Blood. You see these constant debates in the Bible that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were having. And Jesus said, look, you guys are, you guys are way, 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 way overthinking this. You, you are trying to nitpick at all this stuff that's going on. Here's what you need to understand about the Bible, Jesus says. It's two things. Love the Lord and love your neighbor. That sums up everything that you need to know about the Bible. Love the Lord and love your neighbor as yourself. That sums up the law and the prophets, he said. Outside of that, you're, you're just bickering for bickering's sake because you want to be right. What else does it say? They were, they were showmen. He says, look, when you go and you pray, don't go out in the world and, and start blurring our... It's prayer time. Let's all go. It's 5 o'clock. Let's do this thing. And they're at the wall. Hey! Right? He says, don't do that. When you pray, you go pray for yourself. Now, obviously, we, we pray a little loud in here, but we don't do it so that other people can see that we're doing that. Jesus says, when you pray, this is how you pray. And the, way, the reason you're praying is to know the Father, not so that other people can know about you. That's what righteousness is. So as, as we go forth in this Father's Day and then we have lunch with our, our, our parents, our loved ones, uh, our significant others, be thinking about this world, righteousness, and, and the spirit that God wants you to have out there. Be very mindful that this world is out to get us. And, and as... As conspiracy theorists as that sounds, let me tell you, it is true. It really is. We have to be very mindful of what God is trying to do in our lives, in our hearts, and the only way that we're going to accomplish that is through righteousness, through the righteousness that comes through faith, through knowing God, through loving and, and, and knowing God and his agape. And so, Father, I thank you 
for this day. I thank you for all the mighty things that you're doing in, in this saints network, uh, in this church. Father, I thank you that people are listening to this message and wanting to know you and, and wanting to know more about knowing you. Father, the, the uniqueness of, of this congregation is the idea that, that we love you and, and want to receive everything that you have for us uh, in our lives. Lord, as we go forth into these nations, open up the hearts of the people. Let them see your righteousness that comes through faith. Let them hear not just the good news of your gospel, but Lord, let them receive uh, your, your purpose, your agape, into their hearts and their spirits. Father, we thank you that, that as we have sent forth people, uh, that many have come to know you in a more intimate fashion. And I think that's important to hear, Lord, that, that people already knew about Jesus. They were already Christians, but they've come to know you even more in an intimate fashion. Lord, we bless that. We thank you for that. And we pray, Lord, as, that, as we continue to move forward, that you will expound on this righteousness in our hearts, in our minds, and in our spirits. Bless us this day. Lord, as we, as we come back tonight, um, as, as pastor returns, Father, I pray that you just help us to have uh, an amazing time in, with you in prayer. Uh, Lord, we, just, we open our hearts to whatever it is that you have for us this evening. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.